Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. Yesterday, we started talking about the sovereignty of God, and we kind of talked about each one of us uh, shared the first time that we encountered uh, this idea of, of God's sovereignty. If you, if you missed those little brief stories, I'd recommend that you just subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life, wherever you subscribe and check it out. But today, we're actually going to do a little bit of uh, definitional work. So we're talking about the sovereignty of God, and, and I think this part is vitally important. Because being a Christian for as long as I can remember, I would have never denied that God was sovereign. Sure. Ever. Just like mm-hmm. I would have never denied that he was a trinity, or I never would have denied that, that Jesus is truly God and truly man. But the definition that I had of God's sovereignty was not the biblical definition of, mm-hmm. of God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. You're nodding your head yes, like you, you know what yeah. I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think that's probably true of Almost all of us, like you know, I said yesterday, I grew up in a church that was technically reformed, but was really you know, um, and I don't mean to criticize the church, the church at all. It was mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, I would call it now a, a warm American evangelicalism. And I learned to love Jesus. Mm-hmm. I learned to love God's word. It was a wonderful church to to grow up in, but. This, the sovereignty of God was not something we talked about a lot. Yeah. We were taught about a lot. I'm like you, um, Josh. I would have, if, if somebody had asked me, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? I would have said, of course. Yeah, of course I do. Mm-hmm. But I had kind of an American idea of what that means. Yeah. Well, not, you, a, not a biblical idea. Well, you, before we get to the definition real quick, Jonathan, you said something yesterday that really made me think. You said something is, is in the heart of man that, that makes us want to kind of resist you know, that, that God's control over. And that something that's in the heart of man is Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. I mean, the very first temptation that God, or that Satan uh, gave to Adam and Eve was, you know, essentially, don't you want to be God? Right. And, and so it's not a, it's not a question of, of uh, whether there's a sovereign in your life. It's a question of which person <laughs> is sovereign. Is mm-hmm. God sovereign? Or are you acting like you are sovereign over your life? Yeah. So, so why don't we get a definition of, of God's sovereignty? Well, I, I'll, I'll read one from the Westminster Confession of Faith to start out with. And this is uh, in the chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as thereby Neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor is liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And really what that's uh, saying is that, you know, the Bible's teaching that God is the supreme authority over heaven and earth. God creates the universe, owns the universe, governs the universe. 
and there's nothing which takes place in this world that he does not ordain uh, to come to pass. And so there is no one who can frustrate, change, limit, or defeat any purpose of God. Yeah. And that's ultimately what it is. And that means, uh, you know, if God's in charge, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I mean, basic, basic right. line. Right. And I was just thinking earlier when I was saying, and, and Josh said, uh, you know, that I would have, in my early Christian life, before I really had a biblical understanding, I would have said, yes, of course, God is sovereign. And, but in the back of my mind, it was, and so am I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, I, and I don't mean to, you know, uh, mm. criticize anybody's faith, but I think that's, and nobody, I, I don't know, I, I've never known any Christian who would say that out loud. Yeah. But that's kind of the assumption that, that we operate on a lot of times. And, you know, I mean, the, Scripture actually speaks to this. We, we can uh, give definitions, you know, that are based on Scripture, but, you know, Ephesians 1.11 says, God works all things after the counsel of his own will. He's the one that works all things, not some things, yeah. not mm-hmm. most things, but all things after the counsel of his own will. Sure, Romans eight twenty eight, mm-hmm. God works all things together for good. Well, mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar's uh, first confession of faith yes. after he came to the Lord. Why, why don't you read that? Yeah, Daniel chapter 4, uh, he says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Yeah, and remember that's coming from a king, Yeah, mm. uh, a king who was an arrogant king, mm-hmm. and God in love humbled him. And what he, what he comes to the realization is that God is king and I'm not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got a role to play here in this earth, but it's beneath him. It's underneath his sovereign hand. Yeah, yeah. So maybe one, um, sometimes it's always helpful to, to find something by saying what it's not, right? When, mm-hmm. when we say that God is sovereign, we're not saying that he is ordaining everything because he's kind of looking down through quarters of time and and reacting like a a really skillful chess player. Right. Uh, right. That is not what we mean by sovereignty. Uh, God, in fact, the reason why God knows all things ahead of time is because he ordained all things ahead of time. Sure. Yeah. B.B. Warfield uh, said that whatever occurs in the universe that God has made occurs not to his amazed astonishment or against his unavailing efforts. But in accordance with his plan, which was framed in eternity and is being wrought out in time by means of his work of creation and providence. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe one, uh, I remember listening to one of the guys that was very influential for me uh, when I first started coming into this doctrine was um, John Piper. He was mentioned yesterday and he was teaching on the sovereignty of God. And he just brought to light uh, Proverbs sixteen thirty three: The lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. And, and he kind of translated it into modern vernacular. So he said, you know, you're down in Las Vegas and the dice are thrown on the, you know, the, the craps table or whatever. And as the heads turn, those, that decision is, is from God. There's no such thing as 
accident or chance in in the universe. Mm -hmm. Well, that's you know, kind of R.C. Sproul. There's not a maverick molecule yeah. in all the universe. Um, yeah. You know, there's mm -hmm. nothing that operates outside of God's will. You know, that example that you gave of Piper, you know, is one of the reasons why I don't play the lottery. <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> if God's in control, yeah. you know, why do I think well, that I, kind of I'm going to take a chance exactly. that he is not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, okay, so um, so we've given some definitions of it. So what are the consequences of denying this to God? Like, why is this vital to affirm? What are we saying if God is not sovereign? Well, I think first and foremost, um, as yesterday, uh, Pastor Jonathan mentioned, when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about God being God. And so the mm -hmm. very first thing when we deny the sovereignty of God is we're actually dethroning him. Mm -hmm. We're calling God not God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah we're, we're saying that we're actually creating an idol when we, when we say that God is not sovereign. Because we're saying that God is like us, only bigger. That's right. But limited. Um, he, he's he's bigger on a on a scale, but not infinitely bigger. And so you're you're exactly right, Paul. We're we're not talking about God anymore. At least at least not the God of the Bible. That's and right. if you're and if you're not talking about the God of the Bible, then you're talking about an idol. This is uh, you know, true. The doctrine of God's authority and sovereignty is not something that's unique to the Reformed uh, faith. This is a, a tenet of what we would call theism, the belief in God. Uh, for something to take place apart from God's action or permission uh, means that God's not utterly in control. And if God's not utterly in control or sovereign, he's not God. And so in one sense, to reject sovereignty is to embrace atheism. It's yeah. a, to embrace a disbelief in God himself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, Jonathan Edwards had a famous quote where he said, to, to deny the sovereignty of God is halfway to deism and three quarters of the way to atheism. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason why he could say that is because, look, like, which attribute of God can you take away from God and him still be God? We understand from the simplicity of God that God is essentially one. He's not made up of parts. But Having, having said that, if you take away his holiness, well, all of his attributes become wicked. Mm -hmm. If you take away um, his wisdom or his knowledge, then, then he is no better than a human being. If you take away his sovereignty, he's not a king. Mm -hmm. He's not master. He's not Lord. And so Edward's saying there, you take away this attribute, mm -hmm. and you're already on your way to deism and atheism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if you love Jesus, mm. functionally, Fun functionally, functionally, you're on your way. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. How does this practically work out? So we're pre we're preaching through First Corinthians in our church right now, and Paul, you know, the book of First Corinthians is a letter filled with the problems that the Corinthians are having, and at every turn, he keeps on turning back to the sovereignty of God to correct them. So the book begins; they have all these party spirits. You know, I follow Paul. I, I follow Paulus, and he says. Essentially, you need to consider your calling. God did not choose the wise or the rich. He, he chose the poor and the foolish. Yeah. He chose, he chose, the he chose. Of yeah. this world. And then he gets into chapter two. Oh, it's not the natural man that understands uh, the things of the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit causing them to. And then he gets mm -hmm. into chapter four, again, addressing their pride. What do you have that you did not receive? God gave these things to you. 
And then, you know, gets to chapter 12. Why do you have spiritual gifts? Because the Spirit decided that you would have these gifts, and God put you in the body exactly where he wanted you to put. So at every problem that the Corinthians had, Paul essentially corrects them with the sovereignty. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's all he does. That's one of the that's one of his major arguments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the air goes and silent. And I just take all the hot air out of the yeah, air. Yeah. <laughs> no, we were we were I, my my thoughts were so profound. That's right. That we you guys were, just had to stop and, and ponder. We, them. we had to stop and ponder in silence. <laughs> Amen. Well, maybe one more thing. So, Paul, you mentioned. Um, you know, what are the consequences of denying a sovereign God that we dethrone God? One of the other consequences is that um, we're, we're actually arguing with the Bible. Yeah. These are plain statements in Scripture mm-hmm. uh, about God declaring who He is. And we actually have to argue with what Scripture is saying at that point. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think another, another consequence of, and like we've said earlier, um, and maybe we didn't say this explicitly, but... The sovereignty of God uh, is a doctrine that almost every Christian would affirm in one way or another, uh, but it begins to drift away. And if if I lose, if we lose the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, all of a sudden saving the world is on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and fixing the world is on us, and uh, we can get into all kinds of. Um, you know, you, you can go into many uh, so-called mainline churches today, and you can hear all about how saving the world is up to us, fixing the environment is up to us, uh, resolving racism is up to us, um, universal justice is entirely up to us, and what a burden to put on people. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, and but, you know, we... Go ahead. Sorry, buddy. I got to cut you off because we are out, We're of, time. out of time. So uh, it's been a great show. We will talk to you next time on the Gospel for Life.